Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solitude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to an extra special edition of the Two Solitudes Podcast. I don't know where we're going with this, Kevin. Extra special, extra, extra special. Um, Bonus. bonus something. <laughs> I don't know. This is the third. This is going to be a lot of podcasting this week. It's a busy week with Canadian National Team program uh, playing its vital World Cup qualifying game on Friday as well as the MLS season wrapping up for all three Canadian teams in the last week and a half. And of course the Ottawa Fury playing in the soccer bowl. So Kevin and I are giving you full coverage. We're giving you a bit of an example of what we can do with better support in the new year. If you like this kind of daily stuff, but uh, we're getting it to you out today for uh, regardless, right, Kevin? Absolutely. Two shows coming out today. So you're going to have the uh, two solitudes, uh, Canadian Miss National Team preview show with Steven Sandor uh, coming out in the next few hours. When you listen to this, it'll be out. And this uh, very own bonus show that you can listen to with Kurt Larson today. So uh, a lot of interviews and coverage this week. That's what I was saying to a sexual soccer bowl preview. So a lot of shows. Absolutely a lot of shows. So before we talk anymore, Kevin, let's bring Kurt Larson on from the Toronto Sun, talk a little Canadian men's national team, a little U.S. men's national team, too, for our American listeners, and, uh, of course, Toronto FC. And breaking news, Laurent Simon has been named MLS Defender of the Year for 2015. So congratulations to Laurent Simon. We'll talk about it on our next show. Kurt Larson from the Toronto Sun. I'm special! And welcome back to... An extra special edition of the Two Salties Podcast. Kevin, we're doing a little too many podcasts this week. People are going to get used to this. But at any rate, a special guest on the line from the Toronto Sun, Kurt Larson. Everyone knows him well. How you doing, Kurt? Good. I'm, I'm happy to be uh, on the extra special show. Yeah, well, you are extra special, Kurt. So there <laughs> you go. Um, speaking of extra special, let's talk about for the Canadian national team uh, and uh, the, the, this game against Honduras and El Salvador in this particular round. Um, I've talked talked to a lot of people in the last week that, that are trying to convince me to be hopeful. So I'm going to ask you, Kurt, to, to do the opposite. Why should we be concerned about these games? <laughs> um, you know, well, we should be concerned because these first two games, in my opinion, um, are, are really do or die for Canada, if you will, especially when you consider Mexico in March with those back-to-back fixtures. Canada, you know, unless they can sweep out a draw at home, can't really be expecting many points from from those two games. So, when you look at it, um, you know, this Honduras game coming up Friday night, it's 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 almost a must win. I think from these first two games, you've got to collect at least three points uh, to have a chance to advance. So, um, you know, I think some of the fear comes from, from uh, that standpoint where if you don't get a result in these first few games, uh, it, it could be done before it even began. Yeah, fair enough. Um, let's talk about the... Uh, the topic that's on everyone's minds and, and you, you would know it well here in Toronto covering TFC regularly. And that's uh, the Jonathan Rosario situation. Um, why do you think that Benito Floro is freezing Jonathan Rosario or it appears to be freezing Rosario out? Uh, I, I mean, first of all, I think it's wrong. I think, I think Osorio just on merit alone, just on what he's shown this season, the number of games he's played, the you know, his contributions deserves to be somewhere in, uh, you know, in Floro's 23 man roster. I think what happens here is, is, is Floro, we all know he, he's all about structure. He likes playing his system. He doesn't 
go away from his system. He likes guys who fit in certain uh, tick certain boxes in that system. When you look at the midfield, you know you got Akiba Hutchinson, Will Johnson, Samuel Piet. Those are his guys. Where Osorio plays, Floro doesn't like to use. Um, you know, hybrid wingers, guys like Osorio who play out wide for Toronto FC. They like to tuck in. He likes out-and-out wingers, guys like Tucson Ricks who can get up the wing and, 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 and provide service. So I'm not really sure where Osorio fits uh, in, in uh, you know, Floro's 4-1, 4-1 or 4-5-1, if you will. I think that might be the problem is, um, you know, what position does he play for Canada? We talked about Junior Horlet for the wrong reasons over the last couple of years. One of the first time in years we talked about him for the right reason. How important is he for Canada for the upcoming games and how much the result is almost on his shoulder? Uh, I mean, we haven't seen much of him in a Canada shirt, of course. We don't really know what he's going to add uh, just yet. We know he needs games. We know that's why he came back. He's just not playing enough in England and needs to get games. So why not get him for your national team finally? Um, you know, he could turn out to be, you know, one of the most important players in this World Cup qualifying process. It's no secret Canada doesn't really, you know, there's not many goals in, in, in this Canadian side. Uh, this is a guy who, who has shown he can and get forward and, and, and produce results at the highest level. Uh, and if he can find that form, if he can just, you know, produce, you know, an extra two, three chances a game, uh, that's going to be huge for Canada. So, I mean, uh, someone like Kyle Lahren can be there to finish him off. You mentioned Kyle Lahren, Rookie of the Year in 2015. Is he like the blueprint for the new attitude for Canadian players that come in with the national team? Is he what we needed? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, he surprised me this season. I wasn't expecting him to to, um, to break into the starting lineup that often uh, in Orlando. I think if it wasn't for some injuries, he might not have got that opportunity down in, uh, down in Florida. Um, you know, he's had a remarkable season. Uh, um, I think, you know, without him, Canada right now would really be without, you know, a go-to uh, informed goal scorer, if you will. Um, it, it, it's going to be key that he, he carries over that form uh, with the national team, especially at home where Canada is going to get some chances. It's going to be more difficult on the road. And I think on the road, uh, his hold-up play is going to be key. It's going to be, you know, he's going to be a key part of keeping the ball because Canada hasn't shown an ability to uh, to, to hold possession on the road in CONCACAF uh, really ever. So, um, you know, he's a big, strong player. He, he's a guy that uh, fits really perfectly in the Floro system where he likes to play that one, that one player up front. So, uh, you know, another key player uh, for Canada, and, and we're going to see if he carries over that form in the World Cup qualifying. Uh, Kurt, a lot of people sort of realistically look at this qualifying uh, cycle and think that uh, getting to Russia is probably a step too far. So let me ask you this. What, what would classify success to you for Canada in this, uh, this cycle? You know, I think the target, no matter you know what you think of Canada, is always going to be getting to the hex. I mean, that's uh, that's going to be the target. Once you get there, you never really know what happens, especially because you know what, 66% of the teams have a chance of uh, you know getting through to the to the final phase of Russia 2018. You know, for me, more than anything, I, I just want to see Canada be competitive in every game. I don't want to see it blown out. I don't want to see it overwhelmed on the road in places like San Salvador or places like San Pedro Sula. You know, Mexico, everybody gets overwhelmed there, so we'll see what happens. But success for me is is, is really just being competitive, uh, uh, being in every game, um, playing well at times uh, in situations where we haven't seen Canada play well before. So, you know, I, I think the hex is attainable. I think the hex is always attainable for, for a Canadian team. Um, it's just going to come down to, to uh, whether or not they're better than El Salvador and uh, Honduras, really.
Uh, Kurt, before I move this for a few questions on Toronto FC, I did want to pick your brain a little bit on, on another program that you you know and follow quite well, the U.S. national team. Just what are your thoughts on where they stand right now? It's been a tough summer for them. Uh, Klinsman has a lot of questions being asked about him. What, what are your thoughts on the U.S. national team as they're about to embark on their World Cup uh, campaign as well? <laughs> I mean, I get emotional at times because growing up, I was such a uh, such a big American, uh, you know, U.S. national team fan. You know, for me, I'm just not sure, you know, what the progress has been under Jurgen Klinsmann. I think, you know, everybody talks about the United States not having the players and the United States being old. I'm not sure why it has to be old. I'm not sure why, you know, why players like Will Trapp aren't called into the team. Why aren't players like Dyson McCarty, who's had a fantastic season uh, with the Red Bulls called in? You know, Klinsmann finally called up Darlington Nagby, thank God. But, um, you know, so many questions as to why is this guy brought in? Why isn't this guy brought in? Benny Philhaber, a, a, an MVP candidate at one point this year, just completely ignored due to team politics. Uh, you know, there's turmoil within the team. I think the uh, I, I think the the uh, sorry the locker room is is definitely split from everything I've heard and everyone I've talked to. Not everybody wants to follow the Klinsman plan. You know, I think they'll pull it together for World Cup qualifying and, of course, get to the hex uh, just based on, you know, how poor their group is. But, you know, for me, uh, it, it's, a, it's a program that hasn't really moved forward in the last eight years, and uh, it's been disappointing. Who, who's the future for the U.S. men's national team? Because we're looking at the stars now. They're all pretty old. Clint Dempsey uh, be the example. Who's the next future star? Is a Brexit going to step up? Maybe a Darlington Nightbill, like you mentioned. Who do you expect to uh, step it up in the next cycle for USA? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like every four years, every eight years, you know, American fans are kind of asking themselves this. Uh, who's going to be, you know, who's going to fill Landon Donovan's shoes? Who's going to fill Brian McBride's shoes? Um, I think it's because the American player, and I guess the Canadian player to some extent, you know, to some point, develops so late. You know, you look, you look at a guy like Matt Bezler, doesn't even get to a World Cup, you know, until he's, what, 26, 27. These players develop really late. Um, I think you're going to have to look at a guy like uh, Zargas out in L.A., who, who seems to be stepping up in a big way. Will Trapp coming up through Columbus, like I mentioned, uh, and, and Darlington Rugby, who uh, has shown that he has something that most American players uh, don't have, which is a kind of creative activity that we don't really you know, usually see in uh, uh, U.S. midfielders. Kurt, uh, let's move it to TFC to end the, end the conversation today. Early days in the offseason, I think there's still a lot of time for reflection left, but uh, the question in a lot of fans' mind has to do with the coaching, has to do with Greg Vanny and just how secure he is heading into 2016. And I'll just ask it like that. How, how secure is Greg Vanny's job um, if this team doesn't get off to a good start next year? Yeah, I think if you would have asked Greg Vanny and he would have spoke candidly at the end of the season about his job, uh, I think he would have gone into that final meeting uh, at the end of the season with Bill Manning and asked himself if he would uh, if he was going to be fired or not. A lot, uh, a lot of questions, especially after how they lost in Montreal. I think until that point, until they lost the three games of the year, I think people were ready to give Vanny uh, a longer lease. They were saying, okay, we've won four straight, made the playoffs, uh, are doing well. We're what a point outside of uh, you know finishing in second place. And then you go into the last few games and it just completely falls apart. There seems to be no defensive structure. I still have no idea how this team wants to defend. I still have no idea uh, uh, what this team's really a starting lineup is. And that's a concern. Um, I think based on what the, the president has said, uh, if things get off to a slow start next season, uh, if they finish uh, or if they start with, with what, you know, eight games on the road and only get – six points and there's going to be serious questions about whether uh, Manning's going to make a move. And I think, you know, based on the confidence Manning showed uh, at that end of season presser, I don't think he, uh, I don't think he's in the hesitation to pull, uh, 
uh, to pull the lever and uh, make a change if you have to. Uh, th- let's look at the back line a little bit. And I, I often wonder whether it's a talent issue or whether it's a structure issue or whether, you know, specifically whether it's the center backs or whether it's just not enough cover there. You know, what in your mind, and this is a hard question to answer, uh, is the biggest issue that causes that defensive leakage? Well, I mean, listen, it's both. I mean, you can you can highlight most players across that back four, you know, particularly the center backs. You know, Damian Burke had some good moments this year. He had some really bad moments, you know, own goals, bad fouls, uh, losing his head at times. And then you look at his partner, the guy who was supposed to be his partner, who ended up not being his partner, uh, Ahmad Kantari, you know, has a suspension, punches someone in the face, uh, you know, causing penalties. It was kind of disarray back there and, you know, individual mistakes by a different person every game. Structurally, like I already said, I'm not sure how this team wants to defend. I mean, you look at that Montreal game at the end of the season, uh, you see a Montreal side who's compact in that four, uh, the 4-3-3, which actually is a kind of a 4-5-1 when defending. They're compact, they're waiting for TFC to make a mistake, and then they get forward. Knowing that TFC really doesn't defend as a team. You know, you got guys like Michael Bradley who don't seem to want to be two-way players anymore. Um, yeah, how does Benoit should roof it into the, to the mold? Um I'm not really sure how the team wants to defend, and I think that left the back four exposed at times. And, uh, you know, at times, uh, a lot of different things, you know, caused the, the back four to concede, what, 58 times this year, and I think it was a little bit of both bad personnel and uh, a bad system at times. In a ballpark, how much turnover do you think you'll see in the offseason? Well, it's always hard, right, because we don't really know what the contract situations are. We know people are on options. We know people are on guaranteed deals. We know people are on semi-options. It's difficult. I don't expect a lot of turnover just because it would completely go against what Greg Manny and Tim Bezvichenko have preached for two years now, which is continuity, uh, keeping players involved, uh, growing, you know, growing with players like Derek Zavaleta and, and Marky Delgado. You know, I think you're going to see a few changes. I'd be surprised if they keep both the Perky and Kentar. Uh, and they need to bring in uh, some, you know, a right back. They need to bring in somebody um, that maybe uh, is a little bit uh, better suited to MLS than a guy like Mark Bloom. So, uh, you know, three, four, five guys out, three, four, five guys in, uh, and we'll see uh, We'll see what happens. Lots of time to think about that. What are you doing this week in the sun that you want to highlight? Uh, I'm just I'm ramping up the uh, the Canadian uh, national team coverage now. I think I should have something with David Edgar coming out shortly. Um, and then uh, and then it's off to San Salvador after that game on Friday. So it'll be interesting, uh, interesting to get down there and see what the players experience. All right, Kurt Larson, Toronto Sun. Thanks, ter- thanks for taking some time, Kurt. Yeah, thanks, guys. This could be you. This could be your company. This could be your voice. Reach tens of thousands of soccer fans across Canada and North America. Place an ad on the Sports Podcasting Network. Network at gmail.com for inquiries. And welcome back, and thanks again to Kurt for joining us. Busy times for him with a lot of work to go out there, and uh, you should read his work in the Toronto Sun, as, as most of you probably already do. Um, today, Kevin, was one of those days. I used to do, back in the It's Called Football days, I used to have a daily a period where we did it daily, and it was a lot of work. Let me tell you, we used to do it at 1 in the morning, and there's a lot of funny stories from back in those days that many of you have heard before, you know, finding Jägermeister and the church. Uh, church stairs one day that we of course took because why wouldn't you it's like a gift from, it's like the, a heavens. Gift from the heavens yeah it's a gift from a higher power you gotta take yeah. it 
Yeah, it's Jägermeister for all. Anyway, yeah, so that that's stuff that happened in the past. But today is a day that I kind of wish that we had two ass daily, um, and I'd love to do that, and we know how that will happen down the line. But regardless, today we kind of needed to do a show because there was a bunch of stuff that has happened in the last little while. Um, this Canadian League that I've been talking about for months and people are beginning to wonder whether I was making up, uh, the CSA, Victor Montagliani, uh, he uh, sort of put it out there yesterday on, on Anthony Tatera's uh, show, Red Card Radio, that, uh, that it's for sure that they've been doing this for the last few years. So I'm going to talk a bit about that. Hanson Boakai, uh, the FC Edmonton sort of uh, young up-and-coming prospect that uh, a lot of people are excited about. Looks like he may be looking to move on. We have some information there. I, I had re- received information last week about him potentially moving to Toronto FC. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and we're going to talk talk about Mark DeSantos uh, winning the uh, NASL Coach of the Year. Let's start with DeSantos, Kevin. Um, not a surprise that he would have won the Coach of the Year. To, to take the fear the way he did was, was exceptional. Uh, he's moving on to Kansas City, we all think. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but we all assume he's going as an assistant next year. Um, does him winning the Coach of the Year change your thinking about whether that's a good move or not? No, because I, well, I, I like Steven Sandor said, uh, for me, Dos Santos is a head coach. Every interaction I had with him from the time it was with the Impact or with Ottawa earlier this season, he always strikes me as a head coach. He has the charisma, uh, the gumption, the, the necessary attribute to be a successful head coach. He has them, like the intangibles of being a leader of men. And we saw it this year with Ottawa Fury. And the way he not just not just built that team from scratch, but the way he coached that team uh, reactively, the way he coached them to nullify the opposition, that's clearly a blueprint of the coach. It's what a coach can bring to a team. Sometimes you feel uh, you feel like you have no impact on the team because you're a coach. You can't kick the ball. When you use your reactionary tactic, you really do put your stamp on that team. And that's what the Santos did with the Fury. And I don't know if there's any other coach that could have taken those that group of guys and get that victory. The way Ubi Perepovic played under Mark Dos Santos for the second time in his career. He played with him when in Montreal. All those players with stories, Rafael Alves, those players played because it was Dos Santos. Any other coach, I don't think you get that results from Ottawa. So I think it's really reward. What's the word? I think it's he deserved it more than any other coach in the league and he deserves to be a head coach in MLS too so that's why I'm surprised that he's going to be an assistant but uh, you have to pay your dues or sometimes you have to make give the perception that you're paying your dues and maybe that's what he's going to do in Kansas City yeah he certainly has paid his dues he's been coaching since 2006 but I I will... uh, yeah, we know that, Dwayne, but uh, the higher-ups of MLS, do they know that? Do they know about his stint in Brazil where he coached two great and he won a tournament with Palmeiras? He did a lot of great things in Brazil, so, but I don't think they're aware of it. Yeah. What I was going to say, though, is is I think that uh, there's a primary difference between the type of coaching that DeSantos has done in the past and what he would run into in NASL. And it, it, sorry, in MLS. And, and really, if you look at the difference between NASL and MLS – you can understand that. What is the difference? Well, you're not going to run into guys like Kaká or David Villa or <laughs> Javinko at at a NASL level. You're running into journeymen for the most part. I mean, there's a considerable amount of a couple guys from you know TFC's old teams that are on the Ottawa Fury, right? Like we're not talking about stars. You're talking about solid guys, guys that. Um, are professionals that are, are you know journeyman professionals that could play in MLS. Many of them, but by and large, it's not. 
you know, superstars. He's never dealt with superstars at any level. He, he coached in Trabivera, which was kids. He coached in Brazil with kids. He coached, coached the USL uh, Montreal Impact, which is kind of the same level as, as he's at now. And now he's coaching the NASL. He needs to sort of be exposed to the stars and needs to figure out how to manage stars and big egos because he hasn't really had that in his career to this point. And I think that that's what a stint as an assistant at a place like Kansas City might be able to bring him is that exposure to the big names, those big guys to gain the respect of those and figure out how to work with them, Kevin. Yeah, probably. Uh, that would explain it, but I still think that there's a possibility he ends up the head coach of Kansas City because who knows if Vermees going to be back with the way Kansas City. Uh, yeah, it was a dramatic finish and in penalties, but uh, there were rumors during the season when they had a bad slump that Vermees' job was maybe in jeopardy. So you you never know what can happen in a silly season, especially in MLS. And there might be op- positions open too. Uh, who knows in Seattle what's going to happen. So you never know where uh, Dos Santos... I still have a feeling... He might be a head coach somewhere, maybe in MLS. All right. Uh, we will, of course, Kevin and I, we said this earlier. I'll, I'll remind you right now. Uh, we're having a spa soccer bowl preview, which will be uh, released on Friday morning, probably maybe Thursday late. We don't know quite yet, but it'll be out for the uh, for the weekend for sure. So you can have lots of time to listen to that, to get yourself excited for the soccer bowl, which goes on Sunday. We'll talk about um, all those issues like Julian missing the game, uh, DeSantos, what his uh, impact of leaving might mean all those good things will be talked about on our friday edition so let's move on from there um i want to talk about the book high stuff now before we get into the sea league stuff to end today uh, here's the long and the short of it last week i received confirmation from from someone close to the situation in edmonton that uh hansen Bokai's rights mls rights were owned by toronto fc and that toronto fc had a lot of interest in the in signing that player um i then tried to work some other angles here in toronto to confirm that I uh, did have that confirmed, not quite to the point that I was ready to report it. But then on Monday in Edmonton, some fan groups started to talk about it in, in a public sphere. So it sort of came out in, in all of Monday. The TFC uh, uh, soccer Twitter uh, blew up with the talk of Bokai signing and, you know, you know how these things work. It went from like, you know, close to being done and working on to done. And he's here in town buying an apartment pretty quick. Uh, that's not quite happening, Kevin. But it is as far as I know from conversations I had last night. There is a very substantial offer on the, the – well, by substantial, I mean workable offer offer on the table for him. And uh, it's really in their in their court right now in the, in the Baokai uh, camp. They are sort of basically deciding whether they want to take one last run at Europe or whether they just want to take this MLS offer. They haven't completely discounted the idea of going back to FC Edmonton, but I think that that might be leverage more than anything else. Um, that's – that that's all the information. That's where it's at right now. So Kevin, so let's jump ahead and make the assumption now. If he were to come to MLS, or, do you think that that would be a good move for a young player like that? I just hope that they're not making a Freddie Adu out of Hanson Boakai. He's the youngest prospect Canada had that has been hyped in a long, long time. When he produced great results for Edmonton and almost shocked the world against Montreal uh, in the Canadian Championship two years ago, well, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, uh, he was like a hyped, a hype prospect. He People were like, oh, bring him up already, MLS, sign, put him with Canada. And we've seen him play above his level. But he's still a very young prospect. And what if we go back to a couple of shows ago, well, many shows ago, we had Colin Miller on, and we asked him that question about Anson Borkai. And many months ago, Colin Miller was talking about how 
what guy needs to work on his attitude and all that. And I'm just afraid. Maybe it's uh, just uh, the PTSD of the Canadian men's national team coming out on the surface again. But I'm just afraid that if we put them in a situation where the lights are bright and everything, people will get too hype and expect too much out of him and maybe create uh, objectives that are not attainable for him and create almost a free do situation where whatever he does he's going to be considered a flop because he's not playing in MLS or Premier League right now. He's in the NSL. So uh, I just hope they don't make it that situation. Yeah, he's 19, for those that don't know. Uh, if you want to just look for I on CanadianSoccerNews.com, have posted his mixtape, uh, YouTube mixtape out there, and it's very impressive. Like He's a, a very creative player. He does some things with the ball that a lot of Canadians can't do, don't know how to do, wouldn't even think of doing, right? Like He's a guy that has that flair, and that's why he excites people. Uh, but as you said, there's this sort of dark cloud hanging over him in some circles about his quote-unquote attitude problems. There's talk about him missing practices at times, uh, you know, coming late to, to the team bus, that sort of stuff that, uh, that you know, Andy, if he was just a normal teenager, that you might be going, ah, he's just a teenager, but when he's trying to be a professional footballer, you say you got to get that stuff under wraps. And uh, that's kind of the question that that has, that you know, that, that plagues him at this particular point in his development. There's a... Hey, I have. To, let's, sorry, not, go ahead, let's not discount the fact that Toronto is not Edmonton. When you're going to Toronto nowadays, it's not like it used to be anyway. Too, it's more of a rocking city. The temptations are going to be there. The bright lights of the city, of the tower, of everything possible to do in that city. A temptation is going to be there. That needs to be taken into question too. A, a 19 year old, maybe a, maybe a couple months with TFC two. I don't know. I just hope that it's for the best and that he does get be will he have playing time simple question is that is it beneficial for his development if he's on the bench all the time you have to think about that too yeah uh, i think he would get playing time within a tfc structure based on his skill level right now that he adds some creativity on the wet that toronto didn't have this past year that is an area of weakness for the team but not an area of weakness that you want to necessarily address with a big money signing and I think Bokai would be coming in for a reasonable amount of money on the cap right like you're talking about young domestic kid uh, Canadian probably coming in for like league minimum 60 so maybe you come in at 80 85 90 somewhere like that significant raise from what he's probably getting in the NASL but uh, but not exactly superstar monies but uh, I do think that he would be a worthwhile look on a pure football level for TFC uh, would he be playing every game? Would he be playing every minute? Certainly, if he's showing up late for practice, he wouldn't. And, and as you said, you know, Toronto is a much bigger city than Edmonton. If he's getting in trouble there, you know, who's to say he's not going to be uh, spending that 90 grand salary at Muzak uh, after the games and trying to yeah. to meet some uh, some young admirers there, right? Like, you don't you want to make sure that he'd have the right people around him to keep him um, on the straight and narrow. Yeah, he's not going to spend his afternoon seeing Ripley's aquarium for sure he's gonna there's better things to do maybe when you're a professional athlete the temptation is there and it, it needs a lot of discipline is he there yet hopefully yes and hopefully we're just talking through a hat and he's gonna prove us wrong and have a great season with Toronto if he does come to Toronto and that's what we need to hope for for the future of the national team program anyway so uh, uh hopefully it's for the best and if the rumors do happen and he comes to Toronto we just hope that he gets some, uh, the playing time he does deserve because uh, we're not used to seeing Canadian prospect getting the playing time that they do deserve, especially with a Canadian team. So hopefully we do see that. Yeah, Rippler brings the aquarium to watch the Hammerhead Shark. Then he goes up to Casa Loma for high tea. You know, it'd be a fun time up here. Uh, the wrong... <laughs> 
You got the dinosaurs at the ROM. <laughs> Laser uh, tag at the CN Tower. Is this still there? Yeah. I, I don't know if I've been up to CN Tower in years. So, uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff to do in the, in the big smoke. But uh, yeah, good question there. Um, the Europe thing, and we'll end it with this. I was talking to to a source in, in Europe uh, yesterday about his chances there, not necessarily having any inside information, just talking to him about about sort of the nuts and bolts of a guy like Bokai trying to get over there. And, and basically his response back to me is, uh, this is a person familiar with with the player, by the way. He said, you know, the only place I could possibly see him maybe getting a work permit is Holland. So, you know, I think we'd all be happy if he ended up in Holland. But the idea of him going to Germany or England or somewhere like that with his current situation in terms of passport and lack of full international status, it would make it very, very difficult for him to make a transfer to Europe. So it's a bit of a pipe dream there, and I think that the best way for him, if he does have European aspirations to get to Europe, would be to go to MLS, put his head down, do his reps, do his work, play well, and then get a look over there once he has that MLS experience and some Canadian national team experience as well as on the, on the resume. No, the MLS is at a level right now, especially with the popularity that it does have in Europe, especially this season with the new signing of all the big DPs in the league. If he does dominate or at least gather attention in MLS, for sure it's going to open the doors of many places in Europe. If he comes to MLS and dwindles down, he's not going to attract anything from Europe. So, yeah, the European scene has changed in a way now that they would like to get proven players more than to develop them, especially with every country trying to better the national team because of, well, parity in the international scene. Who would have thought? But, uh, yeah, outside of Germany, it's there's like a, almost a level playing field now that every single country is trying to better the development and they're closing their international doors to protect their own uh, national team players. And in a sense... Uh, we've been doing this in Canada for years too. So yeah, well, not not enough in some cases. Yeah. But we won't get into that today. Uh, speaking of which, actually, uh, that's a good segue. The Canadian League, and uh, you know, those who have been listening to this show for a while have known that we were, I think, the first place to report it. Canadian Soccer News and this podcast. Uh, we were. We've been we were. Yeah, we've been talking for over a year now about this. And, you know, the one mistake I made is maybe I got a little bit excited about the possibility of them making that announcement six, seven months ago. I had a good source tell me that that was possible. That didn't happen, which has led some people to to doubt the overall project altogether. And certainly there are, you know, challenges to this, as we well know. But yesterday on uh, Anthony Tatera's Red Card Radio, and Anthony's been a guest on this show before, uh, Victor Montagliani, he, um, he basically... Confirmed it. He confirmed that this was happening. And I'm going to read a little. This is something I don't normally do. This is a taken straight out of that interview, for, excuse me, from Anthony, where he talks about um, about the league and, and whether it's happening or not. Um, we'll talk about this, then we'll talk about what I've heard and go from there. So, Kevin, I'm reading now, and this is Victor's words words from last night in the show. And if you want to hear the whole show itself, uh, you can go on Anthony Tatera's Twitter feed to find the link, which is for Tatera, like the number four Tatera. Or you can go on KennedySoccerNews.com where I have um, a link right to the, uh, the the interview itself. So this is me reading Victor Montagliani's words. First of all, we have eight. First of all, we have every right to establish a pro league. National federations don't run pro leagues, but we're in a unique situation in which we don't have one. We obviously have two U.S.-based leagues that are plying their trade in our country. And then he goes on to congratulate the Fury for their their season as well as the MLS teams. Going on, he says, but but as it relates to us, we've been for the last two or years and a bit working on a project. You can appreciate that all the angles that we're looking at and the possibility of having our own pro league. You can appreciate that it's quite important that the business plan and the proposition is done in the right way where, A, you have the right type of ownership that comes to the table 
and that B, the plan is sustainable. To think that a team or league can just be stable by putting butts in the seat is not realistic. There has to be a different approach. The MLS has seen that as well, taking a different approach and how they conduct businesses. And we're looking at it very similarly in the way that we think we will follow our plan and speaking to the groups that have shown interest already. I think we might be in a position over the next two years or so to push forward on this project. That's Victor's words off the cuff. So they go a little bit all over the map. But uh, to break that down a little bit, there's some key points in this. I think the very first thing he says is speaking directly to those people in this country that have tried to argue against their right to develop this league we have every right to develop a pro league kevin and you're damn right they do have every right to develop a pro league regardless of what some people might think yeah they're creating it not to please people they're creating it because there's a need there's a void there's a vacuum that needs to be filled and that's why they want to create it and another talking point that i like about what you read Dwayne, is when he's saying usually national federation don't run pro leagues but if we don't do it Nobody else will. So let us do it. Let us start it. And who knows? We might give the reins someday to uh, an association, a different commissioner, or a third party. But we might need to start it. Otherwise, it might not start at all. The second thing he says in here, and you're absolutely right, Kevin. The second thing he says in here is we obviously have two U.S.-based pro leagues that apply our trade in our country. And if you go on and read this transcript that I put on Canadian Soccer News or listen to the article, he makes direct reference to MLS and says that it is not going anywhere. So MLS fears out there about them forcing TFC, the Vancouver Whitecaps, Montreal impact out of MLS and into the Canadian League. You can put them aside. I even read this. We obviously have two U.S.-based leagues that are applying their trade in this country to mean that he's not going to force the NASL teams out either, although he may try and encourage them to leave. So uh, that's a key component is there, Kevin, as well. Let's just say the financial package for the future potential teams in that league will be more interesting to a team the size of an NASL team than for an MLS team. So just in that talking point that if it's worth it financially for a team like Edmonton or for Ottawa to join the league, maybe that's going to convince him at the end of the day because we heard rumblings the last couple of years that it's not necessarily uh, easy to talk to Edmonton and Ottawa uh, about that situation, trying to convince them to, to be part of the project. So uh, maybe eventually that financial package, when the time will be right, will be enough to convince those teams if they need, like Edmonton has been struggling with assistance and it's a barely, if any, making money pro- project venture who knows? Maybe that financial package is going to be interesting to join that league in that present time. All right. The third thing he says in here, this is the two part, the A and the B. You have you have to have the right type of ownership that comes to the table and that you have to have a plan that's sustainable. This speaks to the to the basically we can't rush. Um, and he's talking about getting the right ownership groups in place. And I think that everyone understands that. And everyone should understand that that is what. The delay is we want this to happen yesterday. We want this to happen 30 years ago, but it's no good happening prior to it being ready to happen. But as he ends this, they're they're in the final stages of finding that, Kevin. And that's a good news, final stage. What, year, two years? 2017 still possible in my mind. And that could be 2017, 2018 could be the right time. If Who knows? If Canada qualifies, if it goes well Friday night, and in the rest of the process for the qualification, maybe 2018 can be the, the best time to do so. I think all the stars are aligning for that 2017-18 window. 
All right. And the final point I wanted to make from from Victor's uh, statement there was there has to be a this is what he said. I'm using his words again. There has to be a different approach to it. And then he directly references MLS. This is going to make the uh, tinfoil brigade brigade not very happy. But this is <laughs> pretty much referring that this is going to a be a closed league and b it's going to uh, use some form of, of uh cooperative ownership we'll call it it may not be the exact model that mls uses and i hope it isn't i hope there is some change to that uh but there has to be some deal of of revenue sharing uh some form of thing like that whether they own all the contracts like mls does i kind of hope they don't go that route but he is referring to the fact that uh that there's been challenges in the past with with leagues launching um he's acknowledging that and he's saying that we can't just go in and just snap our fingers and create a league like we would in the rest of the world. So that was a, a really interesting thing that he yeah. said as well. It might not be single entity, but I think revenue sharing, uh, partnership, uh, commercial agreement uh, for the whole league, as we're seeing example with Adidas with MLS, uh, things like this that MLS did do, I think could be beneficial to that type of league where it could benefit all the teams involved and not just the big guns of the league. Yeah. All right, that that was the statement there. And again, if you go to CanadianSoccerNews.com, there's more to it. He talks a little bit about League One. He talks about having like a structure that has various levels and sort of emulates the rest of the world and, and all those sort of great things like that. Again, he references that he's not going to force the MLS teams out, um, but a lot to chew on there and a lot to think about in the, in the, the days ahead. Um, the only piece, and I've mentioned this on the show in the last couple of weeks, but I'll, I'll say it. And again here, the, the holdup from what I have heard right now is finding the right owners for two specific markets, and those markets are Vancouver and Toronto. They don't feel that they can launch without being in the, the, the biggest city in the West and without being in the biggest city in English Canada, right? And I, I get that. I, I know that a lot of people may think, oh, you Toronto arrogance, but come on, it's the media center of the country. And if you're not here, you're not going to get any attention on, on the regular channels. And, and we saw what the World Cup this year. Right? Yeah, it, it definitely did hurt that to a certain extent, although the World Cup was successful in its own merits too. I think it just would have been more successful yeah. if it had been here too. Um, I, I think that the other part of this too is the TV side of things. Uh, from everything we've heard is that Bell is in some way going to be a partner in this league and TSN as well. Uh, TSN, of course, is owned by Bell, and they're going to want to have a, a team in Toronto and a team in Vancouver. So they need to get those markets settled first. The two years that they think that they'll be able to push on within two years, um, it's 2015 now. Two years is taking us to 2017, 2018. That's the time frame that, that I had first reported. Um, I said spring 2017. He, nothing he said suggested that that's off the table, although I did sort of read in between the lines and talking to people behind the scenes do believe that it is possible that it may be a 2018 launch now but the important thing as they said and i do agree with this is it needs to be done right and it needs to be done at the right time where it can succeed kevin absolutely and hopefully it's that window and if it has to be 2019 2020 well that may just gonna have to deal with it and it's for the best because if you want to build something strong you have to build that base of that pyramid Really strong, so the rest just comes into place. And if you launch that league too soon, we've we all seen soccer league in this country and this uh, continent launch without necessarily being ready and fail miserably. We don't want this project to do so, so we might have to wait until it's actually ready to push it. And that's actually good news. I, I, 
I take that as good news because if you're too hurry to, you're so much in a hurry to launch a project that you cut the corners, you don't do things right, people get the wrong impression and you can alienate a fan base and you can alienate sponsors and you don't want that to happen. So the fact that they're taking the time to build it correctly, it's very good news. Yeah, it, it, the League One Ontario was uh, originally supposed to launch in 2013. Um, everyone was frustrated in this province when it didn't launch to 2014. But now, when everyone looks back on it, uh, they're they're glad that they waited that extra year because you know you think about it, they came in in 2014, and actually we we I booked Dino Rossi to talk about uh, League One Ontario second season. Uh, for next week so we'll have a chat about League One Ontario in detail for those that are interested in such things coming up soon but um, even in that first year they had a couple hiccups but if you imagine that going forward or going back a year before that they may have had it even more so waiting that extra year mattered in that particular case the last thing we're going to talk about today in terms of the league Kevin is there are some people out there not a ton but some uh, that believe that maybe we shouldn't be focusing on a men's league and instead we should be thinking focusing on a women's league um, I have my own thoughts that I'll share in a moment but I'll throw that to you first Kevin and, and ask you whether whether you think that that would be a more sensible way to go quite the uh, very topical subject right now with the demise of the W League right it's a uh, yeah a women's league the idea of it is great is the feasibility there. We're seeing the NWSL struggle. We're seeing the W League folded. It, the idea is there. It's fair to have a women's league. It should be there, just like a Canadian league should be there for a long time. Is it possible? Is the feasibility there? That's the other question. Of course, it would be beneficial for the development of Canadian women's player and to go back to the level they were a couple years ago and to become a powerhouse in the women's league, in the women's world of football. It would be beneficial. It's almost necessary. Is the feasibility there? Uh, that's the question I'm asking. Yeah. I don't think that it's realistic to think that if they've been planning this for two and a half years, that they haven't already explored the idea of of having a women's league or including a women's league or going women's only and have concluded from a business plan, plan perspective that it's not feasible to launch out of the gate. And if, again, we go back to the League One Ontario plan, they had the League One Ontario women launch the year after League One Ontario men did, but it did launch. So to me, and I've written about this before, and I believe this, it's important not necessarily to launch the Women's League immediately with the Men's League, particular if there, particularly if there's concerns about its viability. And when we're seeing leagues fold consistently, and I can point to three or four in the past 10 years or so that have folded on the women's side, then I don't know whether having another one collapses in the best interest of the sport as a whole. But what might work and what maybe they should be working towards is establishing that men's league and working right from the beginning towards trying to get a women's teams attached to the men's teams so that you have an existing infrastructure on both genders that can work. That's how they do it in Europe, right? You have like, you know, they took these established clubs and put women's programs in and it hasn't gone as quickly as some people think. And there hasn't been as much attention or money in there as a lot of people wish for. But the reality is that the strength of the game in Europe has grown in leaps and bounds over the past few years, largely because of the investment from the largest clubs. And I think that that's how you have to do it. Interesting comparison, too, because the clubs started creating their women's side before there was actual leagues for them. They started creating just a women team that would practice and have games and ambition eventually turned out to forming leagues. And now you have the Champions League and the Women's League and Europe League for women. It, it grew. Maybe the same blueprint can be used. Uh, example, you have the C-League. They'll start eight, ten teams after a couple years. Some clubs have a women's club. 
eventually form a league when the clubs are there. So the possibilities are there, especially with that blueprint. And that might be the best case scenario for the feasibility of it because you're able to dilute the cost over many years and not just on a one-time purchase. So there's a big, bigger possibilities there. All right. On that note, Kevin, we'll take the break for the rest of the day here. Uh, you're going to have two shows today, so uh, have at it, folks. And uh, we'll be back on Friday for that Soccer Bowl special edition. May come out late Thursday, but definitely Friday at some point. Until that time, Kevin? Uh, we need some water. We talked too much today. But until next time, have a great soccer. <laughs>